Are you creative? That's a rhetorical question, because of course you are. A creative is anyone who makes something from nothing. Creativity is everywhere and in everyone. And that means you. So what's been stopping your inner creative from bursting out? Probably fear. Fear is part of creating something. It's a real bee. But don't worry, we'll help you get through that. This podcast will be your guide to claim your creativity, redefine your relationship with fear, and build a new life centered around creative expression. You're going to learn tools from people who have found ways to manage life's ups and downs by turning their experience into purpose. Think of this podcast as your very own creative community. This is Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. Hello, creative friend. I hope you're well. I will get to the creative check-in in one second, but first, I just want to thank you so much. You are literally making my dreams come true by listening, and I want you to know that not only were we on New and Noteworthy again this week a few times, we also hit the iTunes charts. This is because of you and your support for the show. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for helping me make my creative dreams come true. And please let me know what I can do to support yours. So the creative check-in this week is all about purpose. And I feel so many humans in general struggle with what is my purpose? What am I meant to do? And that is a super overwhelming question. Fair to be overwhelmed and bogged down by it. However, I think that our approach to answering that question is what causes the stress. So I have a solution for answering that impossible question of what is my purpose? And it is, instead of equating purpose with career, first focus on yourself. What's the thesis statement of your life? What's your soul's purpose? Make that the filter, then find a career or multiple careers that can serve your overarching purpose. In addition to your career, everything should fit into that purpose, your relationships, your spirituality, your leisure time. That's the driving factor. So if you can define that, it really serves everything you do. And that way, you'll always be in integrity with yourself. And when you look in the mirror at the night, you're going to be like, I recognize that bitch. Or maybe a less profane way of saying that. So for example, I, growing up, thought my purpose was to be an actor. And so anytime I wasn't achieving that quote unquote purpose, I was failing as a human. So in, in my old age, <laughs> but really in the past couple of years, I've realized my overarching purpose, my overarching life thesis statement, which is to bring sight and voice and healing to those who feel unseen, unheard, and unfulfilled through my voice. So my podcast feeds into that, my producing feeds into that, my music feeds into that, when I act, it feeds into that, when I, I also do some writing, some screenwriting, I want to make sure everything I do in my career feeds into that, that my relationships are feeding into that. So you see what I mean, when you have that as your overarching purpose, it's a lot easier every day to achieve that than to be an Oscar winning actor every single day. That can still happen. But when you focus on this more overarching goal, it kind of puts everything else into line. And it also opens you up to possibilities that you never thought could be. Because when we think that our whole purpose is just 
one career aspiration, it shuts you off from really the bounty of life and all these unanticipated dreams that you find along the way. Plus, it's just a better way to live. So in conclusion, find your overarching purpose. Make sure everything in your career feeds into that. Everything in your life in general feeds into that. And that way, you can respect yourself. Okay, now to our creative of the week, who is an artist, blogger, and designer named Anna Thomas. Simply put, she does really cool, innovative work. My favorite thing of hers I've seen is something called postcard lettering. So she'll take a postcard and write a cool or cute saying on it in white lettering, and I've really never seen anything like it before. It's totally something you could frame that would spruce up the decor of any home. She also has a new art brand blog and newsletter called Blue Mango, where she shares insight into her creative process and highlights fellow creatives. This month, she was kind enough to feature me and this podcast. Maybe next month, she'll feature you. You can see the write-up at l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash shop blue mango. For more info, you can check her out at Anna Thomas Designs and at shop blue mango on Instagram. Now let's get to our guest. Jamie Otis is a writer, TV host, reality star, influencer, and even a registered nurse. She's best known for Lifetime's hit show, Married at First Sight. Jamie's childhood was marked with a lot of adversity and trauma. Her mother was mentally ill, addicted to drugs, routinely beaten by Jamie's stepfather, and there was rarely enough food in the house for her and her siblings. Much of the burden fell on Jamie as the oldest. In her late teens, she moved out, got custody of her younger siblings, and decided to make something of her life. She became a nurse, as she saw that as the most practical way to overcome poverty. And she did just that. So Jamie was living in New York City and working as a nurse. She felt like she had the dream. Having never really had an intact family unit, she was longing for love and heard about a show called The Bachelor. She joined, had an awkward kiss, and quickly left the show. But she didn't give up on love. Years later, another reality show called Married at First Sight rolled around, and this time it was a hit, both personally and professionally. Jamie met her hubby Doug through the show. Five years later, they're still married and have a beautiful baby girl named Henley Grace, aka Gracie. Jamie became a star after Married at First Sight and has parlayed her blind wedding into a hosting, writing, social media, and podcasting career. Whatever it is that you want in life, whether it be money, love, happiness, change your thought pattern to first and foremost, thankfulness to what you do have. For example, you know, when I was a kid and I only had powdered milk and that sounds disgusting and it's not, you know, fancy, but we had powdered milk and other people in the world don't even have that. So be thankful for what you do have. And that thankfulness and that mind of gratitude will bring you an abundance more. From trailer parks to triage to TV, I would say that's a pretty damn creative path. Ironically, Jamie never saw herself as creative until we sat down and I pointed it out in her. This is a big part of the reason why I wanted to have her on. Not only does she have an amazing story and career, but she represents so many people who are brimming with creativity, but have just never claimed the word because they thought it belonged to the arts. And it doesn't. It belongs to you and it belongs to everyone. From our conversation, you'll learn practical tools to rise out of adversity, tips for managing anxiety and depression, Jamie's advice for making it through loss, how to never let anyone dull your shine, honey buns, and how to find compassion for those who have wronged you. Now here she is, 
Jamie Otis. So do you view yourself as creative? I really have never pegged myself to be like creative per se. I don't feel creative because I'm not like a musician and I'm not an artist. I I cannot draw or paint or sing or play an instrument. So and to me, like that's like, that's creative. See, that's like my whole thing is I I think we need to shift it away from those kind of ideas that it's only in the arts because they've kind of had a chokehold on creativity for all these years. And to me, it's everywhere. It's in everything. It's in parenting. It's in your blog. It's in the Instagram feed that you're curating (laughs) and your beautiful following of fans that you call friends, which is super creative. I love my friends. It's in your hosting. It's in your podcasting. It's in you being on reality TV. I mean, reality TV. Let's talk about creativity. Yeah, right. I guess that's true. Yeah. That's a really good they, point. I mean, Married at First Sight is pretty damn creative. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah, but I didn't think of it. Though. I know, so but I you were part of it. And that's you were part true. of what cultivated that voice of the show. So to me, you are an incredibly creative person. Well, thank you. I mean, I never really looked at it that way. So thank you. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's true, though, because you have to get creative as a parent, for sure. Yes. I mean, like my little daughter, she would... I mean, you got to get creative. She gets bored and then she screams and I'm like, okay, what's going on? Like literally, <laughs> she, I realized she will scream just because she's bored and she's like, give me something new to do. Like, I'm going to start doing that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know how, and then like, see who pays attention to you. Cause I guarantee you people will pay attention. Yeah. Like just in like, the middle what do you of work. Want? Like, let me just, ah! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it works. Speaking of parenting, I know you had a really traumatic childhood in a lot of ways and it was really difficult for you, but you always have such a sunny outlook and you really brighten up any room. Oh, thank you. And you have always seen more for your life, which I think is so remarkable because a lot of people who had your situation wouldn't have been able to do that, at least not without extensive therapy. Well, I did have therapy. Well, that's that's good. And maybe (laughs) that will be part of your answer. But my question is, when you have that kind of a background growing up, how do you overcome it and go toward your creativity? So to be very honest, I really didn't feel like I could be creative. I I definitely wasn't able to be because I was so focused on surviving for a very long time. Like when I was a young girl, like my one of some of my earliest memories are like literally watching my stepdad beat the snot out of my mom and like hold a gun to her head. I'm mean, crazy, oh. crazy thing. I had cops coming in like with the sirens and like handcuffing him and putting him in the back of a car and like you know, me just being terrified. And, and I remember my mom would say like, if, you know, like she was always getting in trouble with like child protective services, like that they would take us away yeah. because she didn't have a ton of money for food and stuff. So like we didn't have a ton of food and some people would turn us in. We live in a trailer park. So like the neighbors were always like nosing around and they right. would hear like the fights, which was great. Cause that's how the cops would be called, you know? So that saved, I feel like I saved my mom's life a few times that the walls are so thin in a trailer so the, no- the nosy neighbors would call the cops and come and <laughs> save the day. But yeah, like then, you know, she'd be a single mom while he's in jail, like not having any income. And so we would have very bare cupboards and they would call, you know, the child protective services and say, these kids have, you know, whatever. Like, is- like there's no, I mean, my mom, it- my mom had it rough. She also, I mean, I can't imagine, I try to like defend her now. For a long time, I was bitter because. Well, yeah, you have compassion for her now because you're I an do. adult and you see things from a objective perspective. But for a little you, yeah, well, even, that was hard. Uh, yeah. Like she, I remember she was like, if someone comes to the door, hide under, like take your phone. This was way back when phones still had like the cord, you know, to the oh, wall. Yeah. She was like, like, she made sure the cord was really long so that it could fit underneath the kitchen table. So we could hide under the table with the, with the phone. And like, that was our thing. Like if my stepdad got a 
jail and came, we would take the phone and call 911 underneath the phone or underneath the table, like hide from him. Mm-hmm. Like, and then like, she was like, if someone comes and knocks on the door, hide, you know, hide in another room, close all the blinds, don't look out because they're going to come for you if, you know, if they find out. It's, that's very terrifying things to hear oh as a kid. Oh my gosh. You know? It's terrifying to hear at any age, but let alone as a child when that's your whole reality. Yeah. And, and you so, think that's normal. Yeah, 100%. And I was like, these are the, I felt like they were the bad guys coming because they were going to take me away from my mom. Mm. And yeah, I remember, I like vividly remember those memories. So I really was focused on surviving for a very long time because my mom eventually turned to drugs for a coping mechanism. I mean, it's hard. So long story short, um, I ended up gaining custody of my siblings. So for a very, very long time, I was just surviving. And I was just trying to think of how can I get out of like this cycle of poverty and domestic violence and like abuse really. And you were a freshman in college at this point? Yeah. So I was a freshman in college when- like 18. Yeah. Yeah. Well- I was 19, actually. Well, it's hard to say. So when I was 18, mm-hmm. I lived with my mom in this trailer that, like, we were basically being threatened to be evicted out of all the time. It was a hot mess. There was no food. My sib- my mom was never there. Like, mm-hmm. we just kind of all, like, stayed there. My siblings would come and go. It was a mess. So I ended up getting my own little trailer. It was, like, a shack, really, two bedrooms, and moved out. So I was like, I'm done with, like, my mom, really. Like, mm-hmm. I just – and I was – very selfish in the fact that I just wanted to get out. And I didn't even think of my siblings at that time. Like I was like, I'm getting out of this lifestyle. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to make myself better, blah, blah, blah. And I just leave them. And my poor siblings are now without even an older sister and my mom's gone and they're just running wild. I like feel terrible for that time. But I was also just a kid. You were also trying to save yourself. That was like a fight or flight moment. It you really, know what I mean? was, like, it really you're was. You're not thinking about how to gather the village. You're trying to think about how to save yourself from the imminent fire that's coming your way. Right. And if you hadn't done that, Jamie, I don't think that you would have been able to take care of them. You're absolutely right. You would have lost it. And then they would have had really no one. So by you preserving yourself, that's a huge thing. I think a big mistake that we make is like we just give everything to someone and then we forget that the only way we can care for someone else is to take care of ourselves. So your young self had a lot of insight. Oh my gosh. Preach it, girl. Thank you. Yeah. Forgive yourself for that. I think that you needed to do that in order to take care of the little ones. Yeah. No, I think, you know, looking back at it now, 100%, it just still feels a little like selfish, but I also do, I do forgive myself. I was, mm-hmm. a, I was a teenager for heaven's sake. Like what do teenagers at 18 think of? Like their hair and their makeup. I was thinking of like how to survive like yeah. this crazy lifestyle. And how to get out of poverty, like yeah. you said, how to build a better life for you and your family. Yeah. So they come to live with me as a freshman in college. And again, like, and now I'm, I'm trying to get into nursing school because I never necessarily dreamed of being a nurse, but I was like, I need a job from a two-year school that's going to pay more than like minimum wage. Like I can't, like I know people go to school for four or six, however many mm-hmm. years they like rack up debt and they don't even necessarily get a job. And I was like, so I went to the career counselor at the college and I was like, what can I do from this school right here? Like it's a community college. I have my siblings at home. I was just, I like was crying to her. It was, she was awesome. I wish I knew her name because she was so non-judgmental and she could have been very judgy, but she just gave me this career test and said, well, you fit the, the, you know, the, the field is a nurse or a teacher, but a nurse, you know, you could get from a two-year school. And she was like, yeah, but you know, it's really hard to get in. You have to have really great grades and be very persistent. There's a long waiting list. 
And I just remember I like had it in my head that I was going to write the best essay to get in there. And I, and I knew I had good grades. I, I, was, I was really serious about trying to break out of poverty. So I was working hard at school already. And yeah, I wrote like, I, don't, I wish I had my essay still because it was obviously a good one because there's a really long waiting list. And yeah. Somehow I made it. And I didn't have a 4.0. I had like a 3.7 or something. I thought, oh, it was my grades that got me in. But then this girl who came in like like got accepted like kind of as an afterthought, mm-hmm. you know, she had a 4.0. I don't know why they took me over her originally, you know. Well, you probably it, had really compelling reasons in the essay I must about have, why yeah. you wanted to get in and why you wanted to help. Sometimes the reason you're doing something is – just as important as what you're doing, you know, totally if not agree. more. Yeah. Because if you have the intention behind it, like I've seen that happen a million times out here in LA. It's like somebody has a bunch, like I was going to say a shitload, but like a shitload <laughs> of talent, but they are not going anywhere because they don't have the drive behind it. That's yeah. correct. That's so true. You know, that's why this is a total side note, but like Doug, my husband and I, Doug, we, you know, he comes from a family where they really gave him everything and all the Mm -hmm. opportunities and everything that he needed and wanted. It was like there for him because they're loving, caring parents, which I don't, I'm not like, I don't like necessarily frown upon, but maybe like, but I want to do it a little differently ourselves because I had none of that. I think maybe meeting in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. I want our daughter to know she's obviously loved and cared for and all that and will always be there for her, but I don't want her to feel like she can have everything and play Mm -hmm. like I want her to know that she has to work for I just want her I think there's I think the reason that I am as quote-unquote successful and getting out of like the breaking the poverty cycle and all that is because I knew that I had to work for it I had Mm -hmm. no like no mommy or daddy to go to I had to do it myself and there's a lot to be said for that I feel like you know like I you know my mom was first going to abort me and then decided to keep me and just give me up for adoption and then the very last minute like after she delivered me like the the people were there to adopt me and everything was all set in stone but she hadn't signed like you don't sign the paper apparently until after the babies yeah and I guess she looked at me and couldn't give me up so and I knew this my whole life and so I would wonder what would it be like if I had parents who like had money and like I, I didn't have this issue and I wonder if I would be as quote-unquote successful you know you know because I feel like I would have I wouldn't have had to work so hard you know yeah I mean you never know I I don't know I, I mean this was so clearly your path it's hard to say what it would have been otherwise I think you probably would have been successful either way because you're super smart well thank you but I do think that having that sort of realistic worldview like yours was brutally realistic. I don't think, you know, with you, do you call your daughter Gracie? Yeah. Or, okay. She's Henley Grace. We Henley, call her Gracie. She's my Gracie girl. <laughs> so, but with Gracie, like you probably, you know, don't have to like pound that into her, but like giving her some realistic worldview that like, hey, things get tough. Yeah. Is good. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Like when we go, these are the, the, the things I want to do. Like when we go to the grocery store or to the mall or something and she's like, I want this toy. I'm going to say, put that back. We can't afford it. Because I remember my mom would say that a lot. And so it really taught me the value of a a dollar before I ever even earned a dollar. So when I first started making like a little bit of, I mean, I started working as like a babysitter. I'll do, I would do anything. I would mow people's yards for a dollar. Like I was nutty. Like I, I've always been an entrepreneur. I don't even know where it comes from. But anyways, I, I feel like it taught me, like I would save that money instead of just spend it because, and I wouldn't buy it on food because I felt like that was like, or like candy because I felt like that was like, it wouldn't last for it very long. So instead of like getting a treat, I would save it for like a notebook or yeah, I was like very intuitive, very young about those types of things. That, okay. There's so much that we can break down right now. Yeah, right. Okay. First of all, so what I'm getting from your, your story about how you broke the poverty cycle and started your career is that Basically, 
pinpointing on something that's an attainable goal as your first kind of intention yeah. is the way to do it. And it wasn't something I was quote unquote passionate about. It was my only out. So yeah. if you're someone who's maybe in the midst of a struggle right now, right here, and you're, you have lofty dreams of what seems like lofty dreams. I don't think any dreams are lofty, but what seems to you right now is a lofty dream of, let's just say you're working at a fast food chain and you really want to own your own restaurant. And that seems like so lofty and you don't know how you're going to get there. My first step, like the first thing I would recommend to you is find a way that you can make more money doing whatever, like anything, mm-hmm. any way, because you know like you're being not a manager, maybe. Yes, exactly. Any way that's like that you know you can reach in the time frame that you ha- like in a set of time, like in maybe two or three years, because you know that as working as a cashier at the fast food restaurant, you're not going to make it. It's just never going to happen. It's just not heard of. But if you find a, you know, find set your goals a little bit more making them a little more attainable, but remember that lofty goal. So that Yeah, it's like stair steppers. That's what I'm yeah. picturing. So you're like, okay, now I'm here. And then when you were a nurse, you could like kind of dream a little bit bigger. It kind of just every time you have a, a dream, it expands your vision of what your next dream could be. Exactly. And the thing is, so you don't want to be a manager and you know that, but you know that you need A, the experience to know how to run the restaurant and B, you need the paycheck because you're not going to make a little bit more money as a manager than you are as like the cashier or whatever. So I don't know. I I really believe that that's a good way to, and it's a great plan B. So this was my thing. (laughs) I'm all about security because obviously I didn't have any of it as a kid. So for me, I was like, the minute she was like nurse, I was like, I'm going to get in there because I will be needed for the rest of my life if I get this career, if I get this degree. So I did. I went to be a nurse and and it's the best plan B I have right now. Like I know if tomorrow I'm no longer a TV host and I, my book likes like, dwindles in the podcast. No one wants to listen. I can go back to the hospital and have an amazing career as a labor and delivery nurse and love it just as much. Is that something that the idea of all those things like fading away, something you worry about? Um, Do you worry about that kind of stuff constantly with the background that you have? Or are you able to kind of like stay present and stay in the moment? I used to worry about it, but I've listened to a lot of podcasts and read a ton of like books on like the importance of what you put out into the universe. Mm -hmm. And like, if you're going to constantly worry that, you know, your career is going to end tomorrow or your relationships ending tomorrow, that might happen because you're putting that out into the universe consistently all the time. And what you think all the time. I mean, if there's one thing that your listeners could like that you guys listening at home could take away from this, it would be change your thought pattern to like, it, whatever it is that you want in life, whether it be money, love, happiness, change your thought pattern to first and foremost, thankfulness to what you do have. For example, you know, when I was a kid and I only had powdered milk and that sounds disgusting and it's not, you know, fancy, but we had powdered milk and other people in the world don't even have that. So be thankful for like what you do have. And that thankfulness and that mind of gratitude will bring you an abundance more. Like just, Mm -hmm. I promise you that. Quick side note, The Secret, if no one's read that book, absolutely life-changing. Have you read it? I watched the movie and I'm very much subscribed to manifestation. That was actually going to be my next question for you. How much – because you've obviously manifested a lot in your life and probably some of it subconsciously, some of it consciously – what are your manifestation tips? And do you have an example of it in your life that's happened? Okay. So this is new to me, like this whole putting it out into the universe that – But you did it with nursing. Do you I know, know that? It, that so that's what, it's new to me to actively be doing it. <laughs> but you've always before, done it. Yes, it's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember as a kid, 
I wanted to be like a missionary and I wanted to like spread God's word. I went to church a lot. And that was like also another thing that really kind of saved me. And I'm not like trying to like be a Bible thumper right now or anything of that nature, but just like the morals and the beliefs and the values that I learned from reading the Bible and going to church. I thought, I I know that that really, it helped me because a lot of that is also positive energy. And yeah, the 10 commandments are good. Yeah. Those are some good rules to live by. Yeah. There's some, I'm Catholic by raising, so I can say it. There's some bullshit in the Bible, for sure. I mean, like, there's some really sexist things and homophobic things off, uh, like, and that kind of stuff. But take the good from it. There's some great lessons. Yeah. And so, and I never, that was like my biggest issue. So, like, random side note, like the homophobia and things like that. I was like, well, it's right next to don't eat shellfish. So, I love that people take it so seriously, but they're like, pass the shrimp. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Good. (laughs) See? Yeah. Yeah. So, I never could. I was like, that was very confusing to me. But, so I would go be at church and I would want to be like, you know, I'd want to be a missionary so I could help spread God's word because I felt like that was so important and an amazing thing to do. And so I would like literally envision myself on a stage talking to people about my missionary work. And I would like envision what that would look like and feel like. And I didn't necessarily know that was like manifesting things or anything of that nature, but I did that. I would sit there. And now I'm not even kidding you. We were just asked to be speakers at a marriage conference. And I'm like, holy moly. Right? Like I was a little girl envisioning. So it's not – so sometimes what you manifest and what you put into the world, what you want so badly, it it will come to you, but maybe in a bit of a different form. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not a missionary spreading God's word. I probably should be, but I'm not. (laughs) Well, you are in a way. Yeah. You're spreading goodness, which to me is God's word. Same. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. But so as a little girl, I mean, I, I literally was like, never in my wildest dream did I ever think I would be at a marriage conference talking about marriage on a stage. That wasn't anything that I had envisioned. But yet I did manifest that when I was a little girl. I was th- like thinking being on a stage and talking to people and sharing like the goodness. And yeah, you're right. I've been doing it since I was a kid and I just didn't know it. And then I read The Secret and I realized, oh my gosh, this is what I should be doing more. And now I do it in a more in a more yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I actively try to be very positive and I mean it doesn't always happen. Ask my husband. <laughs> well, I mean you're a person. That's why we're not Jesus. Yeah, you know right? I, mean? I mean I'm not Jesus. We're trying to figure it out. Yeah. If my husband was sitting here, he'd be like, Oh, you're trying to be positive, huh? <laughs> Well, you're trying. That doesn't mean you always succeed. That's it. What are your tips on staying in that positive mindset and abolishing the negative thoughts? Like, do you try to replace negative thoughts with positive ones? How does that work? The first things first is I feel like negative thoughts creep in. No one like chooses to have negative thoughts, right? It just Mm kind of comes automatically. It's a habit. So what I'm trying to do is like be more aware of the habits and the thoughts that come without me thinking about it. So like what your mind, it's like your heart. Your heart is is pumping whether you think or not, right? But in same thing for your mind, your thoughts. Your thoughts are going to come whether you're thinking of your thoughts or not. So try to be present within your own mind and your own soul really like as you're – like just small moments of a day. You don't just sit down and meditate or something, but just small moments of a day. Think about what what you're thinking and and try to – and if you realize that it's negative or it's not like conducive for whatever your goals are – change them in that in that very moment. Mm-hmm. And I promise if you catch yourself on a negative spiral or, you know, whatever and you stop and like take a breather and change them, soon enough your thoughts will you'll start to catch it a lot more. And then before you know it, your thoughts do become more positive and more conducive to your dreams. I mean, this is me getting really <laughs> No, it's true. No, this is exactly what we all need to hear. So it's like you're kind of like the way you would cultivate your news feed on Instagram, you want to do that with your mind. A hundred percent. So yeah. it's like cultivating good thoughts 
it's a habit and it's something that you can actively do. It's not like you're born thinking yeah. positive. You you can actively change your mind. Yeah. Do you have any spiritual practice that you engage in? Do you meditate, pray? No. So I you know, I have always said when we had our daughter, I was like, Doug, we're gonna go to church because I do believe that like hearing a positive message, this is the thing is finding a church that I can get behind because mm-hmm. I don't wanna hear about like I don't I Sinner! Yeah. <laughs> You're going to hell. Like, I don't want to hear about that. I, right. I don't, I don't, I just don't want to hear about that. Like, I want to hear positive messages because mm-hmm. I really believe that it can like change your whole week, you know, for real. And so it's just fine. But and I want my daughter to like hear right. that. I want her to grow up learning about this. So for me, what I do now, there's this app, it's called Insight Timer. Okay. And not an ad. I don't know. I feel like I have to say that because people always think everything's an ad if you recommend something. But this is something that I downloaded a while ago. It's called If In- they do want to sponsor this podcast though, yeah. I'm just saying, come I always, on over. <laughs> I always say that too. I'm like, I love this. It's not an ad, but hey, listen, I really believe in this product. So if y'all want to sponsor it, I would be happy here to share it. it. Yeah. 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 So Insight Timer is this app. It's completely free. And you can look up any sort of meditation. So if someone's new at meditating, first of all, highly recommend it. Like, especially if you have like depression or anxiety. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I highly recommend it. And it, it changes it, your life. I mean, like really I, I notice now if I miss one day, I spend the whole day spinning. I spin even if I do sometimes. Yeah. I'm like, I need to meditate more. But at least you have a foundation. Yeah. yeah. When you don't, it's like how – I can't exist – especially in LA. I think it's yeah. really hard to exist in the world yeah. without having some sort of base to start the day with besides just like going to Instagram. Yeah. Exactly. That's not the best way to cultivate a good yeah, no. brain. Everybody else's highlight reel is not what you should be seeing in the morning while your hair is like a frizzy mess and you have like morning breath. Yeah. <laughs> like that's not going to help you. But if you sit down and just like – be present with yourself and your thoughts and start to like think of like gratitude and and the you know opportunities that you have other than like you know I don't know disasters thrown in your way that is such a good way to start your day and I know I'm like sitting here preaching as if I act it and I should probably start acting it you well know? you know you do when you can it's like no nothing's ever going to be perfect too that's something my therapist said to me I'm like well every morning now I'm drinking aloe vera juice and then I'm right. having um, apple cider vinegar and then I'm going to meditate for 15 minutes and then write in my gratitude journal and she's like okay that's great but if you don't do that one morning you're, you're okay. gonna live yeah. yeah yeah so I think like whenever we get militant about anything that's when we shut ourselves off from creativity we yeah. shut ourselves off from happiness we turn on to judgment guilt yeah. shame so I think take all these things as much as you can but then at the same time know that if you don't do it you're gonna survive that's my biggest struggle because I'm such a all or nothing kind of girl yeah so like and you're like- very disciplined I guess I am. Yeah. You are because you could never have made everything that has happened in your life happen if you hadn't had that discipline. Yeah, that's probably true. For sure, actually. Yeah. It's funny you as an outsider who's talking to me, looking at my life, I'm like, I guess, yeah, you're right about that. Well, you sometimes know? we need just a mirror. Yeah, you know? right? To, like a real mirror though. Like yeah. not the one – because like you know when you look at yourself in the mirror and you see like 10 extra pounds that aren't really there. You mm-hmm. see like 10 zits and there's really only one. And sure, that's like a little inflamed, <laughs> a little gross to look at. But it's only one. It's not 10. So chill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I had another question too because we were talking about ads. And I think something you do so brilliantly is you do have a lot of sponsored content, but you talk about it from such an authentic place. Place. And every creative at some point in their life is going to have to sell something, whether it's a concept, whether it's their business, whether it's ad space. So what are your tips for a person in that particular situation on how to sell with authenticity? Okay. The biggest tip that I have for you is don't be a sellout. Okay. Mm-hmm. And like if you're getting approached by like just to partner with a brand to share with your followers, first of all, know that your followers are not 
you know, they're not dummies and no one wants to be sold to. So don't just, it's not worth $100 or $200 to share, you know, something that you don't really love. You, they're going to know you don't really love it. It's also these are these people who follow you. You better look at them as your friends because they are your friends. They're, They're your supporting friends. you. They love you. Like you wouldn't tell someone that you love and that you support, and you know, to go buy something that's going to break in two weeks. You mm-hmm. know, you just wouldn't do that. So don't do that to your followers because they they support you and love you, and like just don't do that to them. So that integrity and belief are the first two things. It seems yeah, a hundred percent. And okay, so. And, and if it's $100 and it might seem like, oh, I could use that $100, just don't do it. I promise you. I promise you, promise you, promise you. If you turn down that $100, another offer will come and you'll be absolutely fine. And your followers are going to know that you're a good person, you know? And so, and I do. I only partner with brands that I genuinely use, I genuinely believe in. Or if it's not like applicable to me, for example, like if I got pregnant, I would still share about these other things that have helped me get pregnant kind of mm-hmm. thing because I want to help my followers. I know a lot of them are trying to conceive and, and I want to share. Yeah. yeah. If I know like a solution, I am going to share it with you. And if they're willing to pay me for that, 100% I'm on board. And and I don't think that there should be any shame. There's almost like this shame with like ads and stuff. And it's like, there is no shame with Jennifer Aniston, again, talking about dry eyes. She does not have dry eyes, but you know, she gets paid. Her eyes she- are wet. <laughs> she has the silkiest, smoothest eyes. Everybody loves her eyes. <laughs> no, it's true. That's a good perspective. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. It's- no, 100%. And I think that the biggest thing is believing in it, actually using the product. Would you recommend it to a friend? 100%. And then I think when you're selling your own things, like if you're trying to pitch your podcast or pitch your business, obviously you're going to believe in it. But just know that you're also doing another person a favor by sharing what you've got to offer. Yeah. You yeah. know, like you really are. Like when you shared that pregnancy thing, I'm like, oh, that's a really great idea. Maybe I'll try that. Yeah, it, it is great because it tells you about not like about your eggs and like your hormone mm-hmm. levels and things of that nature. But yeah, I want to know what's going on there. Yeah, it, before right? I freeze those pups, I want to know. Yeah, <laughs> if they're even viable. Right. Yeah. It's it's and so the thing about this, it's called modern fertility for, for anyone wondering. But um, and again, not, <laughs> this is like the third time I said this, this is, is not, not an ad. This is not an ad. <laughs> Although it, it should be. It, yeah, it could be. It but, should be. Could be. But call me. <laughs> yeah. No, but for everyone listening, like if you are someone who is trying to conceive or even if you don't want to try to conceive and you're curious what, what's going on in your in your body, mm-hmm. this it, usually you would have to try to conceive for literally a full year before insurances will pay for the doctor to take this type of a blood test. This now is like a fraction of a cost. It gets sent to your home. It's amazing. And I'm like, why would I not share that with all my followers? Like, because it tells you about your eggs and how, like how many, like, all, I mean, I haven't done it yet. So you have to do it on the third day of your period. This is TMI, but I have, That's I'm not fine. on my third day of my period yet. So okay. I just got I it. I think I am. Let me get a kit. No, really? No, I just started it today. So I have two days and I'm going to take the blood test and ship it out. And then I'm going to know about my eggs because we're yeah. trying. And so I'm like, if do I have a struggle? Like, do I need to go see a fertility doctor? I don't know. But right. I'm not going to wait a whole year now. So I'm thankful for it. Yeah. But I know we talked a lot about pregnancy there. And, and that's something you've obviously got a beautiful daughter, baby Gracie. Yes. Yeah. And I know you've also struggled with a couple miscarriages. Yeah. And one of my best friends just went through it. I saw firsthand how it really can just take so much from you. So I know you've been a real beacon of hope and strength. So I want to say thank you for doing that for all those women who are feeling silenced and, and, and just sad. But how did you and how have you and how are you now like getting through those losses? And how can you get back to a place where you feel creative again and you feel strong enough to try again? For me, and I know every woman who suffers loss you know, handles it differently, obviously. For me, 
try, like trying again is like not even a question. Like that's right. the first thing I want to do. Cause like all I want is that. So like I, but I know for some women they don't want to try again cause they're still hurt over like, right. you know, they're still grieving the loss of this baby that they just had. And so, but for me, I don't know what it is. It's like the only way I feel like I could heal is if I have, if I, I feel like my, my, my soul is empty almost after having a loss. It's very strange. Like it's just, I just feel like I'm in a deep dark hole and like the only thing that's going to like bring some light is like to know that I have a baby in there again. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't know why. I'm sure I'm not the only one that feels that way. Um, but for a long time I did feel like I was the only one that felt like that. And I would just blog about it because I needed a release of my feelings. And like people are so, there's such a stigma around pregnancy loss and miscarriage and people feel so uncomfortable talking about it. So then they just don't and they shy away from it. Like even your family and your friends, like, mm-hmm. and so then, you know, they feel uncomfortable. So then you feel like you can't talk about it. And it, it's just a disaster for a woman who's going through such a traumatic like life event, you know, like if someone lost their dad or their mom, you wouldn't tell them to shush, you know, mm-hmm. like, and I know that it's different and it's not, not entirely the same, but for a woman, well, I mean, you had a life inside of you that then wasn't there. Exactly. And I think, I mean, I can't completely relate, but I've had a lot of lost dreams that felt so real to me. And I know the pain of that. So I can only imagine the heightened feeling of that when it was a literal life. Yeah. When it's your baby inside you. How have you recovered from them? So this is so the first thing I try to do, and like what really does like heal my soul is when I get pregnant. Like when, right. like when I got pregnant with Gracie, and like I mean, it was like I just I feel like I needed to be pregnant, but you can't. It's not as easy as that, right? So, you can't like snap your finger. Yeah, I wish it would be that easy. So for me, knowledge is power, right? So I I can't sit around and just wait. Like you know, you're you know you're only fertile a few days, so. I just can't sit around and wait. So for me, that's why I also went to the doctors and I said, what are the labs that we could have drawn where I could get some more insight on my body? Because, and they were expensive. I'm not going to lie, which is why this other thing we're talking about is Mm -hmm. awesome because it's not as expensive and you can just have it done at home. But so there's something called MT, uh, MTHFR and it's like, um, like a blood clotting disorder that I might have and which could kind of make sense why I had a, I had a second trimester loss where I delivered our firstborn son. And then I've had these two miscarriages back to back. This most recent miscarriage, the baby didn't like, I mean, neither one of them actually had a chance to even form. And so sometimes what can happen like this, the nurse and me, I guess is now talking, but sometimes what can happen is your blood will clot. And if you imagine like a blood clot in your like your lung or your brain or your heart, it you're not you're not gonna be able to survive. This blood clot would happen like where the placenta would grow, and so there the, the nutrients can't even get to the baby, so the baby can be viable. And with Gracie, with my daughter, I remember my doctor at the time said, "We don't know if this is your issue, but why don't you take a baby aspirin just to be on the safe side?" So I took a baby aspirin my whole entire pregnancy with her, and so so I'm like. Please, like I, so I'm out there searching for answers, is what I'm doing. Like, when if you're trying to help heal your soul in the midst of a loss, you know, it's so easy to sit on the couch and just cry because <laughs> I've been there and I've done that. And sometimes you have to just let yourself do that and don't be hard on yourself and don't feel lazy and don't feel anything less than you're a human being going through a really hard time. And if it's even, I remember also like it was two weeks after the loss and I, I feel, I felt like everybody thought I was supposed to just be happy again. Like, I was supposed to, or at least like, not be sad. I, I don't know. Like it was almost like I was like, well, they forgot it about it because they went on with their lives, right. but you're still in the thick of things. Yeah. And that's when it's really tough. It's not yeah. tough when something terrible first happens to you. It's tough two weeks after when everyone else is like, when you're still feeling it. Yeah. And everyone else is like over it. How did you it. get through that period? So this is it. Like I, I, 
I think I pulled myself, first of all, I pulled myself up off that couch and I wrote, I like, I wrote, I blogged and blogged and blogged. This was with my first loss with Jonathan. I just blogged and I didn't give a crap what anybody thought. My most important thing was I wanted his memory to stay alive. Like I didn't want, like, I feel like he's up in heaven. I didn't want him to feel like mommy and daddy didn't like love him. I, I tried my, like my best to, you know, to nurture him and oh my gosh, I feel like I could get emotional. But anyways, um, yeah. I, so that was my big thing with him. And, and I didn't give a crap what anyone thought. I just put it, I just wanted, I needed a release basically. I found that it was supportive and helpful to other women who were going through the same thing. So I was like, oh, I, you know, like this is a, like, then I felt not so alone myself. I was like, oh my gosh, this woman gets it. And then, or they would share a story. They'd write me, email me, comment, whatever. And they'd share their stories about how they had a, a, a quote unquote rainbow baby. And so it gave me hope. I was like, oh my gosh, like this person went through the same thing. And now they have this beautiful daughter and they sent me a picture and I can see it. And it was amazing. So that was the first way. Now, you know, now that I have my daughter, I, the first thing I do, I feel lucky that I have my daughter because before, obviously, I didn't have any children. And that's, that's really hard because you're wondering if you ever are going to be, be a mom. But now I, I really focus on like being thankful for her and um, going back to that gratitude because like I really believe in that. Uh, so I focus on being super thankful for her. And I just I also, another thing I do is I, I'm like, I'm not sitting on the couch crying. I'm I'm almost like angry now. I'm at a different spot. Like I'm almost mm-hmm. angry and I take, I'm channeling that anger to like find answers, like find out about my body. Like I'm not going to sit around and wait for this, for, for uh, hopefully one day getting pregnant. Like I'm going to, that's just who I am. I, I don't know. And I don't know that that's like my mother-in-law is always like, stop trying so hard, you know, just enjoy it. Then you'll get pregnant and you'll be fine. And she means well. I can't, she's not the only one that says that to me. Mm-hmm. Like everybody says that to me, but I don't know how to stop trying so hard. Like that's in, if I know that the one thing I want is to be a mom and for my do- my daughter to be a big sister and I want a healthy, happy family, it's not in my nature to stop trying so hard. Like I, I want to make sure that I can nurture another baby and like bring another baby to this world. And so you know, I, I get that they say that and that's, and they mean it out of love, but I don't take their advice. I will search for answers for my body and I, I will continue to do that. And, you know, it, and I, I feel like there's power and knowledge and, and like, why wouldn't you? Like if I, if I, I, you know, if I could go get like a blood test that will tell me, you know, answers about what's going on, like why I can't conceive or why I'm not able to carry a baby to term, I'm going to go do it. So right. I think that that's also helpful for me. Like I, I feel like right now I'm waiting for the blood test to come back for the results. So I'm like, okay, once I get that, maybe I'm going to have more answers. And then with that knowledge, I can change the way we're trying to have a baby. Right. I mean, what I got from that was a four-step program. Creativity, you wrote your blogs. Community, you found your yeah. your community of people who are also going through something similar. So you felt friends. I love you your guys. friends. <laughs> Gratitude, grateful for Gracie. And then answers, knowledge. Yes. You go and seek the answers. I need you in my life because I'm the kind of person that like, I don't know how to bullet point a thing. I have like a, I have a long winded answer for everything. I'm like bullet point Sally. Yeah. Call me me anytime. We're a good team. We are together. (laughs) We can make things happen. (laughs) That should be on a shirt. That should be with like a big star. Yeah. Like zooming across the sky. Yeah. Yeah. But something else you did talk about and that you've recently opened up about, which I'm so grateful for, and some a big topic of this podcast is mental health yeah, and the shame around mental health yeah. and bringing it out into the open because that depression, uh, anxiety, anything in the mental health arena, especially that we keep inside, 
really stops us from putting our voice and our work out into the world. Oh, 100%. So will you share a little bit of what you've gone through and how you're working on that aspect of your life? So I was actually, so I literally just answered, I just did a Q&A podcast for our podcast, Hot Marriage, Cool Parents. And that was another question that they asked. So they said, you know, did you ask, did you struggle with postpartum depression or anxiety? Right. And when you're someone that has struggled with depression and anxiety since you were little, I don't, I don't know if you can differentiate, you right. know, after, cause you're, that's like the same, although I like the truth of the matter is I don't feel like I did. Was your baseline different after you had your baby or was it the same as what it would have been before? It, I think it, my baseline has always fluctuated. I think anybody who, well, I don't know this for sure. For me personally, uh, my struggle with depression and anxiety, which I also kept a secret because I know that there's such a stigma around it. I don't want people to view me as like anxious or depressed because I'm not. Like I, I don't think I am. I do struggle like you know, I guess. But uh, so the first time I was ever diagnosed was when I had custody of my siblings and I was in nursing school and I was like, I just could, like I, it wasn't depression though. It was more anxiety. Like I was just so anxious about the whole wide world. Like everything was like falling on my head basically. Yeah. <laughs> and my doctor was like, why don't you take this medicine? It will help you. And um, I remember she like prescribed Selexa and I was like, okay, well, she thinks this is going to help great. But like I, I was a nursing school, so I knew all about side effects. And I was like, I don't want to take this medicine. I don't want to be like hooked. I don't like what kind of side effect is this going to cause? I'm going to have cancer. Hello, anxiety, like the anxiety <laughs> through the roof. I was like, I'm going to have cancer. I'm not going to live as long. This is terrible. But I like took it because she recommended it. And so, and then like, I don't know, like, literally like within two to three weeks and they say it takes usually like a month or something but like within like almost like instantaneously honestly but like that may have been placebo effect but like it helped your anxiety oh my god really? i was like happy for no reason and i was like why am i happy like it felt uncomfortable because i wasn't fam like i didn't know how i didn't know being happy for no reason was like like a thing like i was right. like i felt like I, it felt wrong because i was such a foreign feeling to be yeah. happy for no reason so i stopped taking it because I was, I was very silly. Like, I was like, oh, I don't need this. Well, like, that's common though. Very yeah. common. Definitely don't recommend it to anybody. Right. But anyways, long story short, that was the first time that I was actually um, like like diagnosed with depression and anxiety. I know that I had it like in high school. I couldn't get out of bed and I felt lazy and everything was like a big deal and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But so now what I do is I do take my medicine. Like I take medicine and I do – I would love to like come off it one day or something, but I'm not even focused on that because I don't think medicine's a crutch. I don't think there's no. a stigma associated with it. I don't, I don't have any weird side effects. I don't, it literally helps me calm my mind and just be more present. And anytime I, like when you're pregnant, you're not supposed to be on it. So for the first trimester, I tried being off it and I just was like, like, I just, it's, it's such a struggle. I don't, and anybody who doesn't suffer from it, I guess they, they don't get it, but it is such a struggle to stay positive and feel like, like some of the things I struggle with when I am like, you know, depressed and, and anxious and stuff is that like people don't love me, don't accept me, like don't care about me. Everyone's out for themselves. And those are feelings I don't, I, that first are not true. Second of all, like they're terrible feelings. Like I don't right. want to feel that way. So I take my medicine and I also really believe in working out. Like getting a good sweat in is so important. Like not, not at all for weight loss. Like literally out here in LA, I was like, I think any stressful, like big move or whatever, mm -hmm. it kind of like, I don't know for anyone else, but like for me, it triggers it. Oh yeah. And yeah. So I was like, Oh God, I was like so stressed at first because my daughter was sick. We were changing timeframes. We came out to LA for, um, we came out here in February and 
like it was just a crazy move and we were only here for two months so I was like well we better get ourselves like adjusted real fast I wasn't working out or doing anything and I just took my medicine but that's not enough it really isn't like for me anyways it's not enough so I just started moving my body like I would go for like literally not even kidding you'll get 10 minute walk with her but just that 10 minute walk with her it wasn't about weight loss or anything of that nature just to like get the endorphins going so that there's like positive chemicals float floating around in my brain you know um so i definitely recommend that um and sun like yeah it, sun. honestly sun is so important it really changes like if it's a bright sunny day that if it's a bright sunny day go out for a 10 minute walk and like just feel the sun on your face and like be thankful for it i want to talk to you a little bit because you talk about your writing a bit but i really want to talk to you about your book Wifey 101. Yeah. And I was reading a passage from it today, and there was something in it that really struck me because I think it's because it, I associated with it. You were writing about a traumatizing situation with your mom, and you said, well, I didn't talk back because I liked being the good girl. And I'm wondering, because I, I felt that too, obviously in a different situation in mm -hmm. life, but I always associated with being a good girl. And I think that can be such a beautiful thing, but I think it can also kind of like I don't know. I found that it's hurt me sometimes in life because I haven't done the rebel move, which would have like taken my career further or oh, yeah. um, maybe I would have ruffled some feathers, but I would have stood up for myself. How do you think that idea of being the good girl has helped and hurt you? And do you still feel you wear that title? I'm definitely shaking that title right off because I don't – it's not about being the good girl. It's it's about being – true to yourself yes. and respecting yourself and loving yourself first. So a lot of times the quote unquote good girl puts herself so far last. She is like way in the corner and she's worthless because, you know, she doesn't want to hurt anyone's feelings. She doesn't want to cause a scene. She doesn't want to seem obnoxious to someone when they, she doesn't agree or whatever the case may be. And a lot of like, first and foremost, a lot of times you're not being obnoxious by speaking your truth or what it is that you want. And you certainly are not showing any sort of self-respect or self-love by not sharing what you're – like whatever it is that you want or need or, you know, whatever you aspire for. You know what's really funny? Here's an example in real life. So I get married at first sight to my husband and there's two other couples and my husband and I happen to be like every magazine wants to talk to us and every you know everybody wants to talk to Doug and Jamie because we had a, a unique story where I wasn't really attracted to him but then we felt we grew in love really and like we the attraction grew and I think that that was a very unique situation where a lot of people wanted to hear from us but not so much the other couples they, they just had more of like a normal like love at first sight kind of relationship I guess and I remember I remember vividly one of the wives was just consistently like jealous. I got, I mean, I don't know a better word to say, just very jealous of the attention. And I understood that I felt, I felt for her because I mean, I, I felt like, you know, she, pro I mean, we all went through the same exact experience. Why are Doug and I getting called on consistently and they're not getting as much attention, I guess. And so I, I, I should, I like, I hid away. I like, I doled my shine because I didn't want, I didn't want her to think that I was pursuing that. Like, I didn't want her to think that I was, I didn't want to, I didn't want it to seem like I was like, I didn't want to be boastful. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Like also Doug and I clear, like we had a, a great love. Like we were very, we're married five years now. Like we, we have a great love and I knew our relationship was really, it, it, was, it was great. Real. Yeah. And I didn't want, I didn't want to brag, I guess about that. Cause I know that one of the couples didn't work out and then the other was struggling and I was like, Oh, like, so I doled my shine and doled my shine and doled my shine because this other person felt jealous and maybe a I don't know what. And it's like that, 
I've learned that is not okay. Like do not dull your shine because someone else is in a struggle. If someone else isn't helping you shine your light brighter, then don't have that person in your life. And like, and what I mean by that is, and the same for you, if you are not helping someone else light shine brighter and you are trying to actively dull someone else's shine, you better go think about what you're doing because that's a true shame. Like, because there is room for all of our lights to shine. We can all be on top and we can all love each other and support each other. And, you know, there's no reason for that. So I think the whole good girl, quote unquote, good girl thing, like back five years ago when my husband and I first got married, I was definitely still there. I wanted to make the experts happy. Like they're the ones who paired us. I wanted to like, you know, do everything I could to be, to make everybody happy. But in the meantime, I'm dulling my own shine. I'm miserable trying to make everybody happy. And so if you're someone who's a quote unquote people pleaser, my best advice to you is, to you can still be a people pleaser. You can still make other people happy, but think about yourself and self-respect for yourself first. And don't don't ever dull your shine to try to make someone else happy because your shine should make them happy. Like what you're doing, if it doesn't make someone else happy and you're doing it out of the goodness of your heart, you're just being you, well then maybe you're not a good pair together and you just shouldn't coexist, you know? Like there's you're not everybody's right for everybody else kind of thing. Something that's interesting though, because you said you entered that situation, married at first sight, and kind of that whole world, which has sprung so many cool careers for you, but being that good girl. So you came into it kind of appeasing and like, yes, yes, I'll do that for you. No problem. Uh-huh. Sure. But then now you're, you've stepped into your power. You're in your 30s. You're talking about the power of your 30s. And there's a hard thing that happens when you start out one way with someone and then you come in and set boundaries. Sometimes it bothers them. Because they're like, well, no, 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 you're the good girl. Why are you being the bad girl now? Yeah. How have you dealt with that when you've taken the power back and people have been upset by it? You know what's crazy is I never, ever, ever was someone to stand up for myself or defend myself or even believe in myself because I was consistently – because that ruffles feathers with other people, right? right? Like people like to be able to kind of control you, tell you – like I don't want to say it so for so – brutally honest is that, but it's true. Like people, people love people that they can make, you know, like make them whatever it is, like laugh if that's what their thing is or listen to if that's their thing. And people like, and it's, and there's nothing wrong with that per se, as long as you are also feeding someone else's, like letting their star shine as well. So like if your star is to like be a comedian and you are making people laugh, that's great. But like, if someone else is a comedian as well and they're making people laugh, how about you like encourage their goals and whatnot? I mean, I don't know how to, I I don't even, I mean, I think I'm in the midst of it still, to be honest. So like I, like I said, I wasn't confident. I was very insecure. I knew I had a lot of issues going into marriage. And the only thing that I was sure of was that I just wanted love in a family and I knew I didn't know how to get there. So I, actively sought like help and whatnot from the experts from anybody really like I was open to I was like a sponge taking in everybody's advice but eventually that really wears on you for real and so I learned that I have like goodness and strengths within myself and I learned that I can be confident and that's not cocky and that's not quote-unquote bad girl that's just self-love and confidence and that's okay and so I guess to not ruffle people's feathers I don't I actually don't have an answer for that. I don't know how you no, don't No, you're going to ruffle people's feathers. It's just like how do you deal with that discomfort? Oh. Okay. This is going to seem very very bold and brutally honest, but this is what's really helped me in my life because I have encountered a lot of this issue, okay, where people 
people are in your life that aren't serving you. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, and you love them. Sometimes it's like family and it's friends, but like they don't necessarily believe in your dreams or they think what you're doing is like crazy or whatever the case is. And this is my best advice to someone is not burning a bridge. You never want to burn the bridge, but put a freaking gate on that bridge. And they're not allowed to go. They're they're not allowed to come over in that bridge anymore. And you're not burning it. You can open the gate when t- things change because I believe things can change. But you put a freaking gate on that bridge and you don't let them come over it because they are not helping you. They are not feeding your soul. And if someone's like just if someone is just jealous or negative or consistently weighing you down for whatever reason, you got to put a gate on the bridge because they're going to come in and affect you. And you don't want that for your family, for yourself, for your career. You don't need that in your life. And so the, the I literally just the other day had a chat with one of my girlfriends who is um, really big on social media and whatnot. And like, like almost like a social, she is a socialite. She, she wouldn't call herself that, but she's a socialite. She's constantly around all these big influencers and things like that. But the problem is, is that they don't feed her soul because they're all quote unquote competing kind of for like campaigns and like, and so she was like really sad because like these are her friends that she is in the circle with and they in not so subtle ways kind of attack her for getting the campaign and they didn't. And what, what, why did, what did she do to sabotage them? And she's like, I didn't do anything. Like, and I was like, girl, and this isn't the first time she's talked to me about it. So I was like, how can I tell her like, I see it happening over and over and over again in her life. And like, she just keeps wanting these friends to be like good for her, but they're not. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that they won't, they will always be bad. So you don't need to burn the bridge and cut them out of your life entirely, but just put an effing gate there until they realize that how they're treating you isn't okay. And that you there, you cannot allow that negativity to consistently come in because then it's affecting your, I mean, she's literally laid up in bed crying. So like talk about like a, like numbing for your creativity and like that's a great metaphor thank did you. you just come up with that i did the other day when i was talking to my friend on the phone and i was like i do i like it i'm gonna i'm using that in my own life more yeah. often because i used to be burn the effing bridge like get rid of that person get them right. out of your life and i really was like but again that was like my survival instinct like yeah. people that didn't like serve me or like that would like, kind of attack me or whatever i would burn that effing bridge but like they're not terrible people. They don't mean harm Very all the time. Very few people are sociopaths in real life. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like everyone's doing their best. I think it goes back to that compassion thing, but you don't have to let them into your psyche. Right. And that's, that's and such that's great it. advice. Yeah. Yeah. I want to also talk about your podcast. Yes, I love it. So what was the inception of it? I love the name. Thank you. It's Hot Marriage, Cool Parents, right? Yes. yes. And so tell me about why you wanted to start it and then what's the best thing since you've started it that you've learned? I really wanted to connect on a more intimate level with our friends and I love social media. It is amazing. I know, I mean, I've gained some great friends who are quote unquote fans, I guess, but now they're true friends and only because of social media like we follow like they followed me and commented and then I followed them and you know like it it's amazing and so but like it's hard to have a real dialogue on social media right like it's hard to talk about real important things on social media it's just strange so I've listened to podcasts forever and I realized that that's like a great place to be able to have like these real conversations and to really connect with your following and like really I want to be able to serve them, like you give them some sort of insight or knowledge or whatever the case may be. And I feel like a podcast, it's like the best way to connect with someone on an intimate level without having to have 
like a T because we honestly, when we were on married at first sight and on a TV show, I felt like we were able to connect with them. Like we were in their living rooms with them every Tuesday. And then I would be also be like tweeting live. So I felt like I could really connect with our, our friends, but like, you know, we're, we can't be on TV forever. We weren't truth be told, we weren't offered a contract. And I was like, well, how can we connect with them then? Like, other than just like social media and Doug and I were like, this would be the podcast would be a great way. I and mean, it's not for everybody, but maybe we would do like some YouTube videos because I know some people like that. And then we'll do some podcasts. And what's your favorite thing you've learned so far from doing it, either in your conversation with Doug or a guest? We look at every single review, whether good or bad, because I feel like you can really take from that. Like I, I've I've gotten some thick skin. So like if it's a bad review mm-hmm. and it's something can silly. Can you give me some tips for getting thick skin? The the best tips is to like get the honestly get the bad reviews all the time because then eventually you just get numb to it and you're like oh that person I don't need that person in my life anyways like they don't really know me so whatever but also like the bad some of the times the bad reviews like for example I'll just call myself out we're new at this <laughs> and as you can tell I'm very like I don't know how to like I don't talk in like bite sized perfect sentences which is like what you should do as a podcaster because it's easier to listen to. And so people, I've learned th- through like their negative reviews that I, first of all, I cut people off when they're, when, I'm, when I just like get so excited about the conversation that then like, you know, I'm just like, oh yeah, me too or whatever. And, and then, you know, so in any case, I've learned, don't cut people, I learned that I cut people off. I don't want to cut people off. Like, so basically like take the truth of what they're saying and leave the rest. Yeah. A hundred percent. Bullet. Yeah. And, 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 okay. Some insight on negative reviews, if you mm-hmm. get them also is. I always think if someone has like the audacity and the courage to say something negatively to me, I always just wonder like, who is that person? Like, what are they struggling with that, you know, something as silly as me cutting someone off that seemed because of my excitement and the joy of a topic or something, why does that bother them so much? Like maybe they're insecure or maybe they're hurt about something else and they're just taking it out on me, even if it's a good thing. And that's, and that doesn't mean it's, you know, like it can be good or bad, but like a negative comment nine times out of 10, it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with the person who's saying it Mm -hmm. truly. Like if they're like, Oh, you look so fat and ugly on, you know, this or whatever, which doesn't apply to a podcast because they can't see you, but you know what I mean? Like you sound really fat. Yeah. You sound really <laughs> fat on your podcast. Maybe they're struggling because they think that they're fat. Yeah. You know, has, you right. do not sound fat. No, we're, we're all mirrors for each other. And I think anytime someone triggers us, it's, it's showing something in us, whether, whether it's something we have in ourselves that we don't like that we see in someone else or something that we see in someone else that we want. We're just all constantly getting triggered. Yeah. We talked a lot about parenting and, and relationships but I'd love to talk about yours just a little bit and ask you, how do you approach both parenting and your relationship with creativity? Well, the thing about it is for parenting, you do have to be creative all the time. So how I approach it with my daughter anyways, is that I try really hard to like switch up activities and like even foods. And it's not, it's not easy because we don't, we don't have like any help out here. We have no family. We have nobody out here. So it's just my husband and I, and then she has a daycare, but like we try to just change things up so she doesn't get bored. Cause like I said earlier, she'll like scream until she gets like some, some change anyways. So, but for, I think the marriage it's tougher because with a child will scream and beg for attention and demand change if she wants it. But in your marriage, you're silent. Like if sometimes, at least my husband is, he's not, our communication is like not our strong point. I think that honestly, it always goes back to like that moment of like meditation and quietness within yourself that you realize, like for me, like I would take my daughter on those hikes because I was getting a little anxious and depressed or whatever over here. And it was in those quiet moments that like my husband sometimes would go with me. And I remember one time, this is recent, 
one time, it was a weekend and we could be doing anything in the world, but I was like, I'm so stressed. I really need to go for a hike. And he hates hiking. It's not his thing. He's not interested. He does not care. But he went with me. And I know he hates it. Like, I, I know it's a Saturday. We get two days a week that we get to like do whatever we want, right? Like we all, at least most of us like work five days a week. And so like, he gets two days and one of the days I'm asking him to do something he hates, but he doesn't complain. He doesn't do a thing. And so for me, it's back to like being thankful for like that moment. And so then I think that the best way to kind of spark the creativity is to, again, sit back and be silent with yourself and think about like the things that you're grateful for and then try to try to do the same for your partner kind of thing. Yeah. And it kind of sounds like creativity also can mean compromise. You know, oh, oh. like seeing from being creative is seeing from someone else's point of view. So you are taking perspective for Doug and he's doing the same for you. And that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know that Doug does it. It's just like he's innate yeah, for him. Yes. That's so cool. Yeah. Because he's not at all going to sit quiet with himself. Like he's all about constantly having a show to watch or whatever, but it is, it's innate for him. Like mm-hmm. he's like, oh, she needs this. I'll do like, he just does it. And that's. I mean, he's pretty much awesome. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, Doug. We love you. Yeah, I the love best. You. Yeah. So I wish that I had like 19 hours because I I went through a third of my questions. There's one more that I want to ask that I ask everyone. Sure. And it gets back to little Jamie. So I okay. believe creativity is intricately connected with the inner child. And so if you're a little Jamie, whatever age you picture your little self as was standing in front of you right now. What do you think she would say to you and why? Oh my God, I don't, that's like, I feel like, I feel like I could cry thinking about this because I think little Jamie would be so scared and like so unsure of herself. And so it's almost like I wish I could be me and talk to little Jamie. Can I just, that's the next question. Okay. Because, because like I'm going to probably cry thinking about me as a child. I was, very scared a lot. And I was very um, ashamed and embarrassed. And um, I think she would probably say like, like, I don't believe it, honestly. Like, I don't believe that you broke out of this cycle and that you have a loving husband and an amazing, you know, family of in-laws and that you and your siblings are so close and that you're able to forgive your mom and love your mom. And yeah, I think that I wouldn't be able to even wrap my brain around it. And what would you say to her and why? I think, oh my God, I would say so much to her <laughs> if, I, if I could go back. I think I would say most importantly, like, like learn how to love yourself and believe in yourself and stand up for yourself. And anybody who doesn't, I mean, but as a little kid, like they don't understand that, you know, like I didn't, I wouldn't understand it. But I think what I would say, you know what I would say, because I would always would be very scared that I would be kidnapped and raped and murdered. <laughs> the crazy fears that I would like pray to God every single night that I wouldn't be kidnapped, raped or murdered or that I wouldn't die in a fire. <laughs> Very deep, I know, dark things. But um I think I would love and I and I'd let her know and I would be scared that I would die young. That was always my those are like my biggest fears as a kid and I was consistently worried about that. And I think I would say to her, you will not be any of those things. You you will, you know, you're not going to be kidnapped, you're not going to be raped, you're not going to be murdered and you're going to live to marry your husband and have a beautiful daughter. So don't, don't worry about those things anymore. That's what I would say to her. Mm, I, think- I would say, I would love to say a million more things there, but those would probably be like, the- those are the bullet points. I think if I didn't have all those worries, maybe I wouldn't, maybe I would have had more self-love and confidence and security and whatnot, you know? Right. But like you said, a bunch of times, it's like you were just in survival mode. So really how could was. you even get to that point? Yeah, yeah. But you have now. Yeah. 
And I think little you is proud of you. Yeah. I'm proud of you. Thank you. You're an incredible person. I love your questions. Oh, They're thank so good. you. Those are good questions. I mean, I, I do want to also like the idea that you have so much compassion for your mom is mind blowing because there's people who haven't been through a 16th of what you've been through and are like, my mom fucked me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so I know. like, would you just quickly like speak to how you started cultivating that for her? First things first is nursing school is where I learned that mental illness is a true disease. And and when someone is being physically and emotionally abused day in and day out, I mean, my mom, like I said, I mean, a gun up to her head, threatening to kill her, choked out like till she's blue. Over. I mean, I've seen, I mean, he tried driving us off the road and like, I mean, my stepdad did some crazy things to my mom and my mom, it was literally like 30, you know what I mean? She's our age. Imagine having five kids our age and a man coming into your life, choking you out, th- put, threatening to kill you with a, a loaded gun cocked to your head, you know, like crazy, like crazy, crazy things. So, you know, I had to go back. I had to go back to even to her childhood in my own head. My mom was uh, sexually abused by my step grandpa and my grandma never believed it. And so my mom's forever tried to gain like her mom's love and acceptance, his love and acceptance. And, and then she, then she goes to these men that are so abusive to her and nasty to her. And then she finally breaks free of that, but she has five kids who are like constantly needing her and clawing her for attention. And she just couldn't cope. She had no support system, no one there for her. And as a young girl, you don't think of your mom as a young girl and you don't think of all the things she's been through. So I think, uh, and, and in nursing school is like really the trigger. It was where I learned that like my mom is mentally ill and, and it's probably not even at this. It's probably from maybe from the drugs at this point, maybe from like such traumatic events happening over and over again. It doesn't matter what it's from. It's the case. And she's been through H-E-L-L herself. So that was like the first that kind of softened me a little bit, but clearly not enough because like I just remember even like at my wedding and like just just like other times where I was like, Ugh, like I was just – She's so selfish. She's a very self-centered woman, but she's also the most giving person. So it's very confusing. Well, addicts are usually that way. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I was always like just in a struggle. But after I had my daughter, that was the other thing is like, I don't know what it was. It's like, I just had a softened heart for her. I don't even know why or how, but I I just think about like, like I, I I just think about like, she must've done at least half of what, I mean, I'm alive and well today. So like she was my mother and she raised me as best she possibly could. And that's a lot of effing work. Like, so I don't know, I guess that's, I think, I think, I think the best thing that someone could do if they have a big struggle, especially like with a parent is put yourself in your parents' shoes for real. Like take yourself out of the equation and go back to when she was a little girl or he was a little boy. And what did they go through and how much support did they have? You know, because that really changes things. And then the, ne- the next thing people always say is, yeah, but look at you. Like, think about you. You didn't have support and da, da, da. And, and I get that. So, cause that's inevitably like, that's what people, that's what my, my sisters would say to me. Like, but what about us? Like we had no support. We had nobody and we don't do that to our family or like our kids. But Honestly, we didn't have it as bad as my. I mean, I don't know. Well, I don't know and how everyone's it, built different ways. Yeah, too. it's like I love that saying: it, "The same water that hardens the egg softens the potato." It's not about what elements you're put in; it's about what you're made of. Oh my god, I love that. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, it's, you know, it is true. Which is why this is a total other topic. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll come back on your podcast. Yeah, please. This is why I like want to find my father because I'm yeah. like. My siblings and I all have the same mom. We all grew up in the same exact way. And 
I am just so effing driven and I don't know why. Like I have like this like need to it's definitely a need to prove everybody all the naysayers wrong. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like I will become somebody. I'm not gonna live on welfare and yada da. But um But you wonder what he was like yes. and if that's in him. Because yeah. there is something innately in you that is different and driven and yeah, like, I don't know. just solid. And it's gotta be paternal. Yeah. I think because where are you at with finding him? I did the 23andMe and the Ancestry DNA, and I got matches like a ton of them on both. But then Ancestry DNA, I got this one match that was like really high, and I didn't hurt. The woman's name was Luann, and I have a cousin on my mom's side named Luann. So, but I'm not close to any of my family on my mom's side. Um, so I was like, oh, that's got to be her. Like, just ignored it because I was like, oh, that that high of a of a you know a match Relation, or whatever, yeah. yeah. So then I reached out to her after I, I literally spent days and days and days reaching out to all these other people, like maybe they could connect me to whoever my father is. And I hit a dead end. And so I reached out to my cousin Luann on Facebook and said, hey, are you on Ancestry? You know, I matched with someone. She was like, no. And I was like, what? Yeah. So this woman, Luann, she she is related to me somehow, according to Ancestry DNA. And we've talked and there's a high likelihood that maybe like a brother or something of hers could be my dad. Um, but we're not certain. And so in like, I would have, maybe I would have like brothers if this guy would be my dad. So like none of them are really like, it's been very, I'm very like treading thin water. Cause I, if they are my family, I don't want to upset them, or, yeah. scare them. I'm would not they, asking for anything. I know. I want to be like, could you get your brothers to just do a quick cheek swap? <laughs> I mean, I would love, I don't think that they even know that deep. Cause I didn't, like, what do you say to them? So I didn't know what to say. Like, I only reached to out Luan? to them. Well, no, to Luann I've talked to in depth. Okay. But she, I don't know that she's like that close with the brothers. Yeah. Because oh, okay. it would be her nephews and she doesn't even, they don't live near each other anymore. Okay. Um, but anyways, this Luann woman is awesome. And she actually had a DNA test with her dad for whatever reasons. And um, so they have like their DNA on file with this lab. And so... Uh, she connected me with with that woman, and I bought a DNA kit for myself and for my mother, so it could so it could cancel out any maternal relation if there is, which I don't think that there is, but um, just to be certain. And yeah. then if this woman comes back and her dad, if they come back as like high relations, then I will know for sure that they are somehow related to my father. Oh, I just got chills crazy, I want right? you to be able to solve that mystery because I think it's just going to – it's going to give you peace in your heart. I think so too. Yeah. And honestly, I never thought I would know who my father was because my mom – I've had four paternity tests. They were all negative. And my mom said she could remember his face in the mirror, but she couldn't remember his name and that they were at a – like that she had a party and they were all using drugs and stuff. And so – and she said it was the first time she used – she said pot, but I'm – you know. <laughs> could have been. Could have been anything. <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, so – I mean, yeah, I, we're not, I mean, I'm also, I'm just waiting on the DNA kits to come and we'll see, but it's crazy, so right? exciting. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for listening and to my guest, Jamie Otis, for sharing her amazing story. For more info on Jamie, find her at Jamie Otis on all social media, jamieotis.com, and listen to her new podcast, Hot Marriage, Cool Parents on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to PR whiz Paria Sadegi for booking Jamie. You can follow her at Pariazzi. Thanks to Liz Full for composing this show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. Thanks to my co-producer, Juliette Fubert. Follow her at Bonjour Juliette. Thank you for another great week and for getting us on the charts. 
I really appreciate it. Like I said, you're helping me make my dreams come true. If you like what you heard, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review, and tell a friend about the show. And if you'd like to join our creative community, follow at Unleash Your Inner Creative on Instagram and Facebook and at You Are Creative on Twitter. You can also email me at Unleash Your Inner Creative at gmail.com, especially if you just want to say hi and if you want to be considered for Creative of the Week. Come back next Tuesday to hear more creative insights. In the meantime, know you are enough, your vision matters, and as proven by Jamie's story, with positive thinking and determination, you can overcome any initial obstacle to make your dream come true. I believe in you. Talk next week.